Hello and welcome to Classroom 101, the podcast on all things education, from best practice to the very worst. I'm Andy Van Hayden, a journalist turned teacher. I created this podcast so that more educators could have access to the ideas and wisdom of our profession's greatest minds. In Classroom 101, we strive to improve education by calling out its least helpful terms, paradigms, systems or practices, suggesting better alternatives. Our guest this week is Ruth Lusmore. Ruth is the head teacher of St Mary Magdalene Academy Primary School in London. Ruth is also a TES columnist and co-founder of the education conference New Voices. She's completed an MA at the Institute of Education and is currently working on a PhD in how school leaders create cultures of professional development for teachers. Ruth has, for a number of years, been interested in tackling some of what she describes as the more nonsensical practices within the profession, which made her the perfect candidate for Classroom 101. She had so many ideas, in fact, that I even let her throw a bonus fourth item away. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Education's in pretty bad shape Teachers are leaving on the planet and their escape There's not enough time to teach the things you should Time to banish education since you do it if you could Time for Classroom 101 Time for Classroom 101 Time for Classroom 101 Budget slashing everywhere the government insists it cares Are we raising quality with all the endless scrutiny? If you're hating league tables and those less able labels Time to save our education from self-imposed cremation Time for Classroom 101 Time for Classroom 101 Yeah, it's time for every teacher's favorite podcast Classroom 101 Classroom 101 Ruth, welcome Hello Andy, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, good, thank you Thanks very much for coming on um, this is particularly special for me because, of course, we used to work together. Yep. You were my deputy head teacher. Yes. Um, well, I made that sound like I was the head and you were the deputy. <laughs> I think <laughs> you we were. De- were. <laughs> you were deputy and I was a class teacher and we worked together in central London for a few years, didn't we? Yeah. And There was no hierarchy between us, Auntie. <laughs> sure. <laughs> we were in the classroom together, battling every day. <laughs> um, and, of course, now you've, you've moved on to be a head teacher and we're in your office, yeah. which is a lot bigger than the one you used to have isn't it it really is it really and I share that office as well right (laughs) so um can you tell us a bit about your career path my career path before then even from before then okay so I my well uh, my first real job I guess if you want to call it my real job was working as a sales advisor for a software company which sold software to design your own online shops and I got that through temping and the reason I had that was because I was doing part-time university so I left UCL after one year of studying ancient history much to my parents absolute dismay but I was getting a bit bored with only having six hours of lectures a week when I left UCL I went to Birkbeck and I studied in the evening so I needed a full-time job so I fell into sales and I wasn't very good at it Um, but people seemed to buy stuff from me 
because I would tell them it was the wrong product for them. That's how bad it was. So they seemed to trust me and buy the product. So I did that for a long time and then uh, eventually got a bit bored of office life and went into teaching. So I did PGCE at um, St Mary's in Twickenham and then got my first job in Surrey in a junior school, a three-four-entry junior school. So I started off in year five and then became literacy lead quite quickly and then head of year um, there and then I did a bit of time in year three which was a big change. Did you do, did you do time? No, you did year two. Did yes. you do toy? Yeah, yeah year it's different, isn't yeah. it? And um, <laughs> so I was there for four years, and then I got my deputy headship in central London at the school where I met you. Mm-hmm. And I was there for five years of time, <laughs> five long years. Uh, and then eventually moved on, started looking at other positions, looked for deputies, looked for headships, and got a headship here at St. Mary Madeline Academy. Um, which was very different. I always thought I'd never work for the academies. I was quite, you know, pro-local authorities, but this is a very, very special school. We are an all-through school with two head teachers, um, and it's just a fantastic place to work. So I've been here. This is my third year, mm. and I love it. How, is, how are you finding headship? How am I finding headship? Um, we are at the very end of a very, very long term, Andy, so mm-hmm. right now I'm a little bit tired. <laughs> but actually, I... I genuinely love it. I think it's a it's at times extremely challenging, um, at times very tiring. But I think if we go back to when I was at university and I only had six hours of lectures a week, the reason I had to leave that was because I get bored very, very easily unless things are different and constantly changing um, and dealing with new scenarios. And as a head teacher, and I know you work in senior leadership as well, you know that no day is ever the same or ever what you plan it to be at the beginning of the day. And mm. you have to roll with the punches, sometimes literally, <laughs> not that literally often. Um, but you, you just have to go with it. And I really get a buzz off that. And I also really enjoy, I probably should talk about young people and how much I love young people and how much I believe in them. But oh, that too, you know, it's great to work with young people. It's great to work with children and to see them grow and development and all of that. And so I love that. Absolutely. Um, Thanks so much for that, and thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Sh- shall we? Shall we dive into? Go on then. To the crux of Let's the show. Let's do it. I feel like that's where we're going to have the most fun. Okay. Um, because in classroom one hundred and one, as you know, we strive yes. to improve education by mm-hmm. calling out its least helpful terms, paradigms, systems, or practices. Great. Suggesting alternative means. Okay. So I know you're teaming with ideas on this. You've probably <laughs> yeah. pretty much got a shopping list ready. <laughs> I do. I think I've written stuff down and everything. <laughs> so let's just see how many we can rattle <laughs> okay. through. No um, problem. What's first for banishment into classroom one hundred and one? Okay, first for banishment and. I think me and you are going to relate on this because there was a time when we were both under these systems. But my first thing is the pointless and inflexible parts of school policies. Okay, so okay. I think I need to unpick that a little bit mm. because as a head teacher, there are certain policies which I'm very much know you've got to follow the line on this. This is what we're all doing. However, I'm going to give three examples of things where I'm like, this is driving me mad. First of all. The kind of policy, like the marking policy, which insists on a particular colour pen to use, mm-hmm. that drives me mad um, for, for a number of reasons. Just, I'm an adult. <laughs> Don't tell me what pen to use to mark a book. I'm going to use the pen that's near me and that writes well. I mean, actually, I do say to my teachers that they're, they're, they can't mark in yellow, but that's because you can't read yellow. That's the only colour I'm like... Whatever you do, don't mark in yellow. But that just drives me mad, the whole idea that everybody has to write in a, like a purple pen for one particular type of comment or a, a 
pink pen in another type of comic because otherwise mm. the children won't understand that one's like an improvement or one's a well done they will yeah. understand because they're not stupid so that drives me mad first of all we, we, we worked under some fairly strict marking policies together didn't we Andy? yeah and I think to, to be honest I think it, it's probably more common than it is not for schools to actually stipulate the colours still even now I think pink yeah. highlighter or green highlighter for this or the whole school we're, we're, we're marking in green pen or whatever it might be yeah um i think it's quite common still yeah i mean and i kind of get it for the ones where you like you want the child to respond perhaps in a particular color i kind of mm. get that because that shows up but mm. like, or the whole you can't use a red pen because it's seen as aggressive like oh yeah yeah is it <laughs> uh, we're not bulls it's red like we're fine like the, they they will be fine so that is one of the reasons which bothers me okay the second reason is um display policies which are unreasonable too mm. so for example okay now i i do have particular things with my staff and so far as i have all the displays in the public areas are backed in different shades of blues which is our school color the reason i do that is because despite me loving my staff sometimes people put up colors which don't go together and it drives me mad mm -hmm. but i don't want to tell them to take it down so we have certain things but the double backing rule is just insane and what's even more insane is say you've spent oh i don't know a day of your life putting up a beautiful display in a a school hall about the Windrush generation. This you might feels know, like a very specific, specific example. It does feel like a specific and, example. And familiar as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you've you've created a beautiful uh, version of the ship, which is the you know the SS Windrush, and it's coming in, and you've got all this beautiful work of children's, and some of it is different shapes, and some of it's you know sculptures, and some of it's pieces of writing, and you've actually been the only one in the school that day because everybody else has been at home because the school's closed because it's too cold. And then on the Monday, when your boss comes in and looks at it, instead of going, oh, wow, thanks for doing that, they say, can you take that down and double back everything <laughs> when you've already stapled it? Mm. And you go, no, I'm a bit busy. And they insist you do it. I'm like, why? And why? Because it's in our policy. That's, that's not that's, okay. So that's a very hypothetical example. That is an extremely hypothetical <laughs> example. what you're, you're throwing away here. <laughs> and I didn't cry at all when hypothetically that happened. <laughs> <laughs> when I had lots of other things to do. But then, okay, so the third and probably the most important and possibly more serious one is um, at the moment I'm working with a couple of organisations and we're looking at how to encourage uh, practitioners and academics to come together and to try things out in the classroom, to look at, you know, research-informed practice or, or action kind of research in mm. the classroom. And that, to me, is a really positive thing, giving people autonomy in their classroom to try different things out. Where it falls down is the school policies, which are particular teaching and learning policies. This is how we do it here. Mm. Or this is how our desks are going to be laid out. Or this is how we deliver an input. Or this is what we call, you know, Walt Wilf or whatever it is, the LO. And when it's written down in a policy like that, when a particular body comes in to inspect the school mm. or you have teaching and learning reviews and you have different practice in different classrooms, mm. which you what you'd want to have when people are kind of experimenting with their teaching and trying things out, they say, mm, you haven't got consistency. Mm. Well, you don't have to have consistency if you are actually trying things out. So I think there's, um, there's something to be said of having teaching and learning policies which have built within them the flexibility to... Yeah. to be creative or to be innovative or to say, you know what, we're going to trial something different in this classroom and see if it works. 
But people get afraid of not following the consistent policy because they're afraid somebody's going to come and look at their books and go, oh, you haven't done that the way you should have done. Therefore, this yes. is going to impact on your performance management. By having everyone having to have exactly the same uh, things, you, you restrict people. And I think there's a big job to be done about people adapting their teaching and learning policies to allow for action research in the classroom. And so have you been able to do that here? Have you, for example, made your policies more principle-based? So yeah. as long as you align with the principles... It's definitely when I first arrived, and actually when I arrived at the school, there were a number of us who were new to different roles. So I, we were a new um, literacy lead, new maths lead, new deputy head, new head, new class teacher. So a number of us were new. And actually what was really good was that we were able to then kind of work together what our principles were. Mm what we thought did work well but we yeah we've tried to build it in so that the, the the policy is has got that element to do what the practitioner feels is best for the children i think people have those have those really strict ones because it's easier it's easier to walk around and check people off against the tick list then isn't it mm. and go oh yeah no look they've double underlined you know all these stupid little things where you're just like yes why do we need to worry about that do you think there's any argument for saying well you, that's true in an ideal world maybe mm -hmm. if you're a good school already and yep. you're going for outstanding but if you're say a requires improvement yep. school by Ofsted standards yep, sure. and you're desperate to kind of to get a good is there then an argument that maybe a more prescriptive policy is better when you're in a crisis when your house is burning down you mm. don't like sit around and have a team meeting about how you're going to stop the house burning down right you mm. go and fix the put the fire out and then you build again so i absolutely think context is always key to these things so mm. yes if you're in a school where things are just wildly all over the place and you need to do that then that is the style of leadership that's needed right then luckily i'm in a school where we're not at that point so mm. we can afford to yes. think about things so yeah of course there's that but the problem is when people don't realize that their school is no longer in that crisis mode mm. actually mm. and that they don't need to be acting as if they're in crisis mode and being on top of everybody over my new shy mm. um but then but then there are some things which i do insist that people follow behaviour policy. I think if you don't have consistency around your behaviour policy, then you're in for real problems. Mm. What was the first policy here that you made a big change to? That's interesting. The, the thing I think we started with, and again, because I think we were all new to each other, was behaviour. Oh, right. So we looked at the behaviour policy together because, you know, if you don't have good behaviour, you can't get the good learning. And I don't mean, I'm definitely not a, uh, you know, one of the kind of what they call a zero tolerance policy people that's not how we run it was just more about what's our common understanding of what good behavior is what's our expectations around how we as adults model that what's the way that we talk to children what's the way that we talk to each other what's mm. the way that you know what are our core values linked to our you know our kind of school values um that we want to say if everyone's doing this this will be a you know not a happy place it was always a happy place but that what's going to work for us mm. because as well i think when you're a head teacher a lot of that a lot of the way that a school is and the culture within the school comes from that head mm. so when you get a change in leadership you often see a change in how behavior runs mm. um so that was a, the one that we did make changes to and we continue to look at it and go actually this doesn't quite work anymore or we've moved on from that mm. we're a bit more developed and, and then I, we got to teach and learning yes and, and linked to that i know yeah. you did some work on the marking policy we here, did, right? yeah can yeah. you tell us a little bit about what you did yeah so um marking right <laughs> um everyone loves marking don't they 
Um, everyone loves spending their time after school marking. I do a fair amount of reading around, you know, what everybody talks about marking and feedback. And I looked at the EEF's report on effective marking and teacher workload. And I'm always concerned about teacher workload because I've got great staff and I want them to stay here. So I want to make sure that they are not being burnt out by anything. Mm. So I'm in my third year of people not resigning, by the way. Yay! Oh, well, I know. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you yeah. very much. I'm very proud of that. So... I said to them, okay, you know, we had loads of different experience in the team, people who worked internationally, people who've uh, in NQT, so have been doing placements in different schools. And we just said, we had one of those policies, which was marking green for good, marking purple for next steps. And I was like, I can't, I can't do that mm-hmm. to you because I would can't, I wouldn't be able to do it to myself. Right. So we sat down and I went through those reports with people. We looked at no marking policies, um, we looked at it all and then we did a trial run where different teachers worked on different things mm-hmm. that they felt that they wanted to try out and then we came together at the end and decided what would work for us. So we have um, very minimal marking in our foundation subjects because we felt that the time in between the lessons meant that actually spending loads of time in the marking wasn't really helping. Um, but actually the teacher reading it and making some comments in their own mind about what they needed to work on was better. Um, we do have still some like symbol marking in English just for speed because mm-hmm. sometimes when you're marking a long piece you want to kind of and we do mark longer pieces but shorter pieces not so much a lot of self-marking in maths mm. because instant feedback mm. for the kids and they love it yeah they do love it doing that there's probably less teacher marks within the books right but the idea is not that they're oh, they don't look at the books the idea no. is that they spend the time looking at books and adapting the lesson the next day and how long did the, the, the run from first looking at the research to when you yeah. decided on your new policy? Really, realistically, a year. Yeah, yeah. A year actually, because you know we want you can't rush these things. And actually, we were. I was. I was fortunate. I'm going to say fortunate to have Ofsted in my at the beginning of my second term as a as oh, a head. Right. So literally, they came, and then I was like, yeah, actually, to give a bit of breathing room, so we could go. Right. Okay, we know we've got some time to experiment, and I guess that's the problem. Like, we, I shouldn't have thought like that. Why shouldn't we experiment, whether after did you or not? Mm. So it took a year, but that you know, and we and it's not perfect. It's absolutely mm. not perfect, and we will revisit it. And as staff move on and new people come in, we continue to revisit it as well. Yeah. I think the point you just made there probably segues quite nicely okay. into your second Ooh. item for Classroom 101. <laughs> so I had a sneak peek at your show. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So what is the second thing that you are throwing away? <laughs> okay, so the second thing I would like to throw away is the dark side of accountability, Andy. Mm. The dark side of it. <laughs> and by okay. that, I mean the impact of um, the... You know, I don't have a problem with testing. I really don't have a problem with testing children. I think it's a useful learning tool. You know, and I don't have a problem with testing children at different points throughout their school life, if you want to call it that, then then that's fine. What I have a problem with is how that data is used and the impact it has on professional practice, mm. essentially. So, for example, we worked together in a school where there was a lot... We worked in Year 6 together, didn't we? We did a lot of mm, teaching together yes, in Year did, 6, yeah. didn't we? Didn't <laughs> yeah. we just? Happy days. And Yeah, right? Happy days. And, you know, obviously, the school wants to have the best possible results for their children. However, I think it can turn into narrowing of the curriculum. Mm-hmm. So your other areas of the curriculum disappear. I think we, you know, there was a lot of teaching to the test or boosters, before school boosters, off school boosters. 
insane kind of timetabling of staff to do various different things which I really you know maybe they did have an impact on results do I think they had an impact on long-term learning of those children no I don't and and so you kind of ask yourself why are we doing that mm. why are we doing that why are we desperate to get this child who isn't as expected standards to have that grade of expected standard when they leave our school right even though actually by doing that, have we put that child in a position that when they get to secondary school that they can go, oh, okay, this is a child who we need to support mm. more. Mm. Or You're giving them almost false impression. Giving them false impression. Um, mm. So and I, I think, why do we do that? I think we do that because of league tables. And I'm a complete hypocrite. I love to have a look at a league table and see <laughs> which one of my local schools I've beaten or not. And I do have an internal celebration to be like, yay, the school full of rich kids down the road. Woohoo! which we haven't but you know the league table system it's a vanity thing to our communities and it go look we're at the very top of our game now having the league tables would be all well and good if the people are at the top of the league tables then had the obligation to share with us all about mm. how they got those results mm. right but actually most of us aren't very good at sharing why we had good results and you kind of have to yourself well why not why don't you tell us what you were doing magically that we're not doing to get those results and I also say I think that um, it can lead to malpractice as well in administration. I think that people push the boundaries of what is acceptable yeah. in testing and put themselves at risk of professional misconduct. And why they do that? Because they're afraid. They're afraid that those results are going to be used to either people coming in and going, why aren't these good enough? Um, and that's kind of crazy because there has to be somebody who's got better results than other people. It's a little bit like the, um, the progress score in primary, right? Yes. Uh, the conversations I've had with people trying to explain the fact that 50% of the schools are going to be below and 50% are going to be above. And therefore, when I'm trying to explain this to my governors, and therefore, it doesn't really matter what I do. Yeah, yeah. That it matters what everyone else is doing. So I can get the best. Do you know what? You're yes. just like, it's kind of insane. This bell curve yeah. thing is insane. And... And it's not easy for parents to understand. It's not all, easy for parents it? to understand because they want something simple and that's the argument, isn't it? Oh, there's something simple. There's a league table or there's an offset grading which is, you know, linked to these results or why aren't you why aren't you above average for progress? And it's like, well, because sometimes you can't be above average for progress. Sometimes that year group aren't mm. like that. And so I think so I think this kind of the dark side of it does push us to can push you to do things which actually as an educator, when you train or when you get into it, you don't feel is the right thing. Yeah. And this is and this is not like this in every single part of the world as well. Mm. It's uniquely weird, mm. I think. When you talk to colleagues in like Canada or other places, they're like, "Why? Why are you doing that?" And you're like, mm. "I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we're weird like this, but we are." But there you go. It's about trust, isn't it? They don't trust us. Yeah. People don't trust us. That's how you feel as a head teacher, right? You're working feel... under that environment. I think I'm really fortunate insofar as I've got a great governing body who are very sensible um, and understand how it works. I've got very good... I'm a, because I'm an academy, I don't have the local authority in my office mm. holding me to account for results, which I know other head teachers do have that, so I'm quite fortunate to that. So, But I have other advisors who come and pick through the data with me. And I guess because we're doing all right, it's mm. fine. But there will be years where, you know... There will be years where I know the, the cohort coming through mm. will make our data drop. Yeah. And that won't be for a lack of effort. 
that will be the cohort and because we do things properly mm, yeah and we also don't know our curriculum here so but i think that's better for the children i'll just stick mm. with it see if yeah i do i do joke with my year six teacher because he's like he's worried about the results coming in i was like why are you worried it's my job that will go <laughs> and he's like really i'm like yeah <laughs> this results day is like have i got a job for next year i'm i am joking my girlfriends wouldn't do that but yeah that's how it is for some other heads though isn't it it is, yeah. That's the truth. That's of the it. reality of that it. That is the reality. There's so a lot on the line. There is a lot on the line, Jobs and your reputation, line. or mm. and but at the same time, I also understand there was a real need to push up standards in education. And you know, yeah, I, I grew up. Ask you about that. Yeah, because standards have risen, wouldn't you say, in the last? I think of standards decades? of teaching. Oh, I don't know. It's difficult, right? I suppose if I reflect on my own experience at school, at primary school, I had a great time, mm. a really great time. Was I being taught in the most effective ways? Not by everyone. Mm. And there certainly were people, and there certainly have seen, I have certainly have seen teachers who do need support and do need to be held more strongly to account. <sighs> yeah, but they manage it in other places where they don't have all of this kind of paranoia. But that that's part of our wider, you know, cultural, the way we are as a country, mm. right? We don't trust professionals. Mm. Anyway. I mean, what countries are you thinking of? Canada. You... I'm going yeah, with Canada, Canada just because I've been out there recently in oh, Toronto. Okay. Yeah, I was out there for the um, American Education Research Association and just talking to them. And, you know, they, they, they were in um, one of the places out there. They were starting to see some of our structures being brought in and they were all really worried about it and the impact on it. But I, they, their kind of thing is if your results are low, it wouldn't be that you would be punished. I'm mm. doing inverted commas because mm. you can't see me. Um, you wouldn't be punished, but it would be a kind of like, oh, right, let's go and support. Mm. But it feels like a punishment here, doesn't it? Yeah. So uh, speaking to Jeremy Hannay, you might oh, yeah. know, not too far, head teacher not too far from here, who comes from Canada and, yeah. and talks a lot about this and how the schools that need the support get it or they seem to get it a lot more yeah there that's how he feels as well yeah so but that's just the dismantling of like so they kind of that self-improving system of schools it's just like mm. oh you know why don't you go out and improve yourselves yeah we trust you to do that but at the same time here's a massive stick to whack you with when you don't get it right like that what's that statistic out the other day a third of pupils are leaving year six not able to read mm. do you see that headline mm. That's yes. not true. No, that's not true. That is a, not that true. It was a BBC article. Yeah, it was a BBC article. And you're just like, no, no, no. They just didn't get 100 scaled score. Mm -hmm. And they can read. They just didn't get this, you know, fine point score. You know, all the children who got 99. They can mm. read. You know, just some of them, as I watched them knew it, just messed up their test a bit because they're 10 and 11. And mm -hmm. they're 10 and 11, that's what they do. So It's yeah. hot. It's that particular it's hot. day. It's that whatever, particular day. You know. But... Saying all that, I really don't have a problem with testing. It's just mm, what sure. you what you do with the data. The dark side of accountability, like that. So that's, that's gone. <laughs> okay, good, super. <laughs> right, what's next for classroom okay. one hundred and one? Next for classroom one hundred and one is class sizes above twenty. Okay. Now I'm going to put it out there. I have never taught <laughs> class size below twenty. <laughs> In fact, actually, what's the biggest class size you've ever taught, Andy? Thirty. Two, 32. 32 and the smallest class size the smallest class size was 24 the 24 following, following year I went from 32 to 24 oh my god how did that feel oh, it was amazing 24 was for me 
I felt like it was the perfect number because not only had I come from 32, yeah. um, so it, it immediately feels amazing, but also you can put them in twos, fours, sixes, <laughs> and get my factors in. Yeah, it's really, uh, you, whatever group, it's whatever really you important to, to have an even number, can, right? Oh, it's really important yeah, to have an even number. There was a, for a short spell of that year, it was down to... Uh, went up to 25 and then went back to oh, 24 you know yeah, people yeah. come go and it was really annoying when it was an odd number <laughs> okay but, um, so maybe we should banish amazing. odd number of children <laughs> in classes but yeah but but you know the largest class size I had which was in my first year of teaching was mm. 35 wow your first year yeah that was 35 it was uh, it was insane and actually yeah. I think you know here we are you know very very fortunate we are an oversubscribed school and we you know there's a population dip around here so it, there is a real fight for children in terms not that I'd say it's a fight for children we don't fight but we want the spaces to be filled because mm. ultimately that's our funding mm. and so we we have 30 31 here possibly might have to go to 32 and then sometimes we have visitors from China who come over and as part of our, we're a Mandarin excellence school, so we have lots of visitors over here. And sometimes I have for like two weeks, my, my poor teachers have like 36 children in the classroom. Obviously those extra children, they're not fully part of the class. But when I then talk to colleagues of mine who've gone uh, from working in the state system where they've got big classes to going to work in the private system. Mm. So a, a colleague who used to work here, she went from having 30 to having 14. Right. The workload on staff, when you've got 30 children, it is a lot of work. To A, to be get lo- reading through all those books mm. and all those different subjects, that's one thing. To manage 30 children when you're by yourself or if you don't have full-time TA, mm-hmm. to manage just the practicalities of that in itself is difficult. You know, all their different medical needs as well as to building relationships with 30 children. Like, I think staff are amazing. They do it really, really well. But I don't think you can build the same kind of relationships. I mean, did you find it different from going from 32 to 24? Oh, absolutely. You could not explain how different that was and how much time you're able to give the children. You know, you re- I've really noticed that. And I, I know that a lot of primary school teachers will really um, feel passionate about this point that you're raising because it's so frustrating when you're trying to be not only a teacher, but obviously you kind of a social care worker yeah. and everything else that comes with being a class teacher yeah. in primary, which we all know if we've done the job. And you're trying to do that with 30 because one issue comes in straight after lunch involving three of your children yeah. and you're somehow trying to give them the attention that this needs yeah. as well as somehow control yeah. and help the 27. Yeah. And it feels like an impossible job and it's no wonder you kind of spin out of a washing machine at, at 6pm or whenever you get out of school and think... yeah. Where am I? Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> I mean, the other bit I think of when you have really large class sizes is like, what's really important to me is building relationships with our families right? and our parent community and the people at home. But managing 30-31 relationships outside mm-hmm. um, is challenging. Whereas if you had 20, mm. imagine those relationships you'd have too. And then the other thing is, you know, schools, I don't think schools are built with big enough rooms anyway. Yeah. And when you've got 32 packed into a classroom when you're just like on a hot summer's day when you've got no air conditioning and the sun's shining and you're in a Victorian building. <laughs> Again, I, I, can you remember this? Again, I oh my really well. Goodness, yeah. it, how the, hard was it to work in those overheated when the you could room I there forgot was no ever been in. no floor space to get the children right children we're going to come and do an input here then you're going to work. You know that. 
and we'd if if you were lucky you'd you'd fought for one fan which was obviously <laughs> yeah. one end of the room somebody in the room is lucky but the rest of them it's not no. making any difference that fan no and the, you know the build you know the buildings are not there so i know you know it's uh it's something i'd like obviously you know it requires you to build more schools and have more teachers but so let me okay. challenge you a bit on this i'll go on there right so John Hattie, oh, yeah. we know he, he looks oh, yeah. at everything and of the effect does. size, doesn't he? And he does. So he collated, more yeah. than, I think, more than 100 studies. Yeah. And he concluded that reducing the class size has relatively little, little effect. Relatively little effect on what, though? On, learn, on learning. On, outco- on learning on outcomes. Out- on learning outcomes. Okay. His finding was it's a lot less than the impact of, say, the t- that the teacher has. Yeah. I think it was classroom size. might It might mean four months quicker, more learning yeah. in a year compared to, say, that a better teacher can give you two two years' mm-hmm. worth. The hypothesis was basically when we lower the class size, the teacher will still teach the same way. Yeah. And therefore, it doesn't have that impact. So it will only have that impact if, with that reduction in size, the teacher yeah. actually teaches differently. Yeah, of course. And, and, that, no, and, and that totally makes sense, but that's on learning outcomes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we that's view uh, that being enough. Right. Right? Yeah. And actually you know, retention of staff to become better teachers, mm-hmm. right? So if we want our teachers to become better, we need them to actually stay in the classroom and therefore we need to not burn them out yeah. and therefore we need to make them feel like that they can do their job well. So, yeah, learning outcomes, fine. I get that, but it's, it's wider it. than that. Yeah. It's wider than that. And, and yeah, I mean, you're, you, you were case in point. How much <laughs> better was it having 24 than 32? Yeah. True. I mean, I, you're you're preaching to the the choir. What's the phrase? <laughs> preaching pre- to the converted. I'm preaching to the converted here. Singing. I don't know. <laughs> singing from the same hymn sheet. Something yeah. like that. I mean, I feel I've always have to. Whenever I kind of get to the point where I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to go above above thirty, and I have to go and speak to the class teacher and say, mm. and and do have that conversation. And sometimes I don't have a choice. Sometimes I have to take the child. Sometimes there's issues with siblings being split across different schools, and I know how hard that is for parents. So. I want to help families out to make their life easier, but I do try and always go and have that conversation with the staff and say, is this going to... Difficult conversation. Is this so. going to tip you over right. in terms of what you can manage in that classroom as well? So I don't do it lightly when we go over 30. And I know I'm a hypocrite about this, but that's the system no. we're in, right? Well, that's it. Now, you, you did study politics, didn't you, at one point? I did. Do you have a theory <laughs> on how, how would you ever make that happen? Oh, gosh, like, how would you ever make that happen? You know, is is it just a case of is it just the government thinking? needs to fund to fund education properly and they're not? Well, you know what, a they need to fund education properly and they're not. There you go. There's a political statement. They aren't <laughs> funding it properly at the moment. Um, though there is money in education in certain places. Okay. You know, and there is, and there has been historically, I think, poor spending of money where people have been frivolous or not careful or thoughtful about what they do with their money. You know, there was a time when there was loads of money in the academy system, right, when they mm. set up and loads of money to spend on the things which you now are just like, wow, I can't believe that that amount of money was being spent in that way. Yeah. Um, it does, it needs more schools, it needs more teachers. I mean, we have problems recruiting and retaining teachers already. Um, yeah, do I think it's going to happen? No. Mm. <laughs> Just bring the class sizes down and then don't ask me the difficult <laughs> questions about the private system. <laughs> no, Which no. I might one day end up working in and then regret this on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, okay. so yeah, class sizes um, above 20 going in classroom 101. Are they? Are we agreeing? I, I'm totally happy to put that put that straight Excellent. into classroom 101. Super. Um, and I think all the <laughs> primary teachers out there would be as well. Um, so thank you. So shall we move on to a final... Yes. A final item for Classroom 101. Okay. Really intriguing one, this. Okay, so I, I haven't really thought my argument through for this one. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. It was just an impulsive response. Um, I would like to put in golden time. <laughs> okay. And I am the head teacher of a school which has golden time. <laughs> so why am I the head teacher of a school which has golden time and yet would like it in 101? <laughs> I find golden time really annoying. Um, so when I arrived at this school, the tradition was, or one of the traditions, which um, everybody was very, very adamant that I could not get rid of, was golden time. So Friday afternoon, yeah. at the end of a week, at that time when children are right at their peak of behaviour, and they're on their best behaviour, aren't they, Friday <laughs> afternoon? Yeah. That's the best time. All teachers know that. And just before we have our class assemblies. So oh. just before we have a load of parents arrive and everyone come into the hall to finish the week together, we have half an hour of golden time. Right. <laughs> where the children who have, you know, we don't earn golden time in our school. You lose golden yeah. time, right? right? So you you have established the golden time of thirty minutes, and then through your behaviour and actions throughout the week, then you might lose five minutes or ten minutes or pockets of things like that, depending on your age, basically. Yeah. And golden time, I should just say for anyone oh, yeah. listening who's not come across it before. Oh yeah, golden time. Well, this is a really common. Thing it's really primary common. schools, isn't it? For anyone who's listening who's, yeah. who's not come across golden time or doesn't work in the primary sector, might not have heard of it. It's very common that a Friday afternoon, last half an hour or whatever it is, is spent with that free time as a, a kind of a reward for behaving through the Throughout week. Throughout the week. It tends to be linked directly to the behaviour, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my oh, yeah. They would mm. never be linked to, like, academic performance. Mm. It's always around, you know, have you kind of followed the school rules and all these things? And, you know, and there's but there's different systems in, in different schools. You know, you might have, I don't know how secondary schools work, but they might get merits and things like that. So, I mean, we have those already. We know we have, like house points and things like that we tend to use our house points for effort in academic work mm. and then use golden time linked to our behavior mm. so i i kind of i do get it because i do want the children to know that we appreciate them behaving themselves and mm -hmm. that you know we all think that's great and we have a um, so we also have a i don't know how yeah, I'm just going to say what we call it. We call it the Golden Time Losers Room. So there's there's one teacher on our... We have a Friday breakfast meeting together and we have to assign who's going to look after the losers. Um, we don't call them losers to the children's face. Who looks after Golden Time Losers? So the children who've lost their time go and sit in this room and they sit there in silence and they have a timer up and if they've lost five minutes, they stay there for five minutes, ten minutes, or, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Mm. But... Andy, can you imagine that the faces change very often in that room? No. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> it's the same every week. It's the it? same every week. In so every... there's part of me, the argument I have with my staff is like, this doesn't make a difference to those children. Mm. And, you know, we have we have good behaviour here. So, you know, when they're in there, they're not they're not in there for, you know, for behaviour which you would be you're doing fixed term exclusion for or anything like that. You know, it's it's your regular thing. But I haven't come up with an alternative which is better yet. Right. That's my problem. Okay. I haven't found something that's better that I can get everyone behind because the teachers like it. The teachers find it that it works for them. Mm. The students in our student council and our student meetings, they like it because it's it's really visible to the ones who always behave. Mm. That actually, you know what, 
it's it's taken behavior's taken seriously and i'm always doing the right thing and mm. and this person over here is often often when children aren't doing the right thing that we put in plans in place for them don't we and and we kind of treat them differently and sometimes those children who always behave well feel like they don't get the attention yes so it's very and it's very immediate as well because it works, works across five days so it's not like you know it's held over mm. and it's friday afternoon but equally, my teachers always complain they don't have enough time to teach the entire curriculum. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, here's half an hour. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, they're like, definitely. no, not that half an hour. Talk that up. So yeah. I want it. I want it taken away. But I don't have a better alternative mm. other than people. I know people would say, well, just get rid of it entirely and then just make it all about intrinsic rewards. But mm. I need I need staff backing on that. And if until I have staff backing, yeah, yeah it's parked. Tough it's a, one. That. It's a parked one. Do you have one. golden time in your school? We do, yeah. We have golden time. And um, I've had, I think, golden time pretty much every school I've been at. And yeah. I must admit, one of probably my least favourite things about teaching in any of the schools I've been in was this half an hour at the end of Friday in one school where the, I would have a list of children who had missed time, lost five yeah. minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, depending on how many days they've been misbehaving. And so the rest of the children are playing on the tables and I have all these children sat on the carpet Aww. and I have the timer. <laughs> and rather than me thinking, okay, last half an hour of Friday, I can go and sit and enjoy the time with those children, yeah. who, you know, maybe playing. I'm sat there basically monitoring the timer so I can tell them <laughs> when they can go. And also obviously monitoring their behaviour because we've got all the children sat there who don't But there's all these behave. distractions around them. Distractions going. around them. They're frustrated, they're annoyed that they're not doing it's it. It's Friday afternoon. They're misbehaving because yeah. there's they're yeah. all they're wanting to misbehave with each other and trying to then manage their behaviour. I at the I, end of the week. At the end of the week. I really couldn't have hated that more. I well, mean, if you have a silent golden time loser classroom, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you I, don't have, have to a loser see them, room. actually. Yeah, you need a loser room. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have that luxury, so it was a loser carpet, and I was the, you know, the, the marshal. But what I would say is, if you were to take it away, th there's an argument, isn't there, that if you give a reward for something, yeah. you're immediately giving that message that it's something that's not, that the activity isn't that desirable. So yeah. it's like we need to reward you for doing it. So behaviour, just behaving, isn't desirable enough in and of itself. So yeah. we need to give you an, a reward at the end of the week. Is there a subliminal message coming yeah, to children? Yeah, but at the same now? time, I suppose at the same time, we are like we we're working with primary age children. So we're not working with we're working with children who are developing their understanding of what our social boundaries of behaviour are because. Mm. I don't think you are. I don't think anybody's born understanding what the unwritten and written rules of society, society are, no. and and how we behave in differently in different circumstances. So we do a huge amount of work in primary around, you know, learning around being considerate of other people, around you know, not taking everybody's, you know, not taking over from other people, not shouting out over other people, mm. learning to keep some of the opinions which aren't always that pleasant to yourself rather than sharing them with your neighbour. Or, you know, demonstrating respect towards an adult who's speaking or who's trying to help. But how do you train children to do that? What, what I like most about this one is it's just almost a, an instinct that you've do, you don't really feel comfortable with I don't it. feel comfortable and with it as well. And you're, yeah. you know, you're admitting, I don't have a full picture of what I want instead or anything no. yet but I just feel uncomfortable with it and I, I think there's got to be something better out there because yeah. I felt for a long time that I would probably get rid of it yeah but I've never stopped I mean if I had the yeah you know the, the power the power 
I've never really gone through and thought through what my reasons are and what I would do instead. Quite like having the some of the unstructured time in school because those are some of the golden moments. You know, the mm. golden moments where you you find out about their interests and you know, and you kind yes. of connect with children in a different way. So, like for example, one of our members of staff here, um, who works part time in his like other life, he writes. Um, choose your own adventure stories okay and he's during golden time he's just recently got a group of uh boys who turn out they're really into it and they're like spending their golden time in this kind of mini book club like Mm. talking about these things and that's brilliant or you know the children who are just fantastic artists and who want to spend that time doing some drawing i mean golden time or friday i regularly have a group of uh, year one children who come in and bring me delightful little pictures of me where i've got like six toes and <laughs> five eyes or one of them brought me a note that they wrote for me in golden time which said miss lusmore you are one of the best head teachers in the school <laughs> i was like burn <laughs> hi there i hope you're enjoying the show this is a quick message to ask for your help the aim of classroom 101 is to support wider sharing of ideas and wisdom in education. So if you like what you hear from Ruth, I'd be really grateful if you could share this with others, whether verbally or via social media. You can tweet the show at Classroom101pod, me at AndyVT101, and Ruth at rlusmore. To learn more about New Voices, which we discuss nearer the end, visit new-voices.co.uk. This is slightly different to the website Ruth actually says, so new-voices.co.uk. The response to last week's episode with Sonia Thompson has been superb. Thank you to so many of you for sharing it and supporting the show, especially those of you who've been clicking subscribe and follow on whichever platform you're using. Now we conclude Classroom 101 with three quick questions to get to know our guests better. So let's get back to the show. So your first question yes. is, if you weren't teaching, what would you do and why? Okay, I'm a little bit nervous about saying this because I think this is one of my best ideas. <laughs> so I would have my own business, right, and it would be called Beer, Bread, Butter and Books, okay? Because like it would be a bar with different beers, mm-hmm. different types of bread, mm-hmm. different types of butters, Mm-hmm. because bread and butter is brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. It's often the best part of a meal. You know when you go to a restaurant and you sit down, you know what you're going to get by the bread and the butter they put down. Yeah. And there is actually a lot more variety than people think there is for butters, you know? Right. So it'd be those things, uh, those three things, and then added on, one of my favourite places in the universe is a pub in Falmouth, which is a pub with a bookshop in it. Oh, okay. And yeah. I love reading and I love mm. books, so it would be beer, bread, butter and books. There you go. Brilliant. It's got everything. It has got including everything. Including the alliteration. Including the alliteration. You have to. Which I'm very pleased with. And <laughs> I know now this is out there, somebody's going to open it up and I'm going to be so angry. Yes, you need to get this or sorted I'm just before go and this work goes for them. Yeah. on air. <laughs> yeah. Someone's going to steal that. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Okay, Thank so you. that would be your, your business. You start that, that business. run it, yeah. enjoy the bread and the beer yourself. Uh, yeah. And I'd probably, just... you know, be the owner. <laughs> yeah. The one who just goes behind the bar and pours myself another half <laughs> and reads in the corner. I don't actually want to work in it. I just, you know, want to be there. <laughs> Amazing. I love this Good. idea. Thank you. Um, so I'll, I'll ask you a couple of follow-ups on this. Okay. F- firstly, do you ever just 
spend yourself on the bread and butter at the beginning of a meal. Always. And it's just, yeah. That... You know when you get when you get just beautiful fresh bread mm. and you're just like warm, well. oh, warm bread. Yeah, so I'm oh, so good and you just tear it apart and the butter slightly melts. Mm. Oh my, is there anything better, you know? I'm a simple soul, really, Andy. I'm sold already. And and what about the books? Like, what kind of books would you have? Ooh. Are we talking, like, full library range, or are you going to go for a particular... I think I would... Genre. Um, no, it's going to be a range. I mm. quite like... I spend a lot of time reading non-fiction stuff for my PhD. Mm. And I, so for the last few years, I've spent very little time reading fiction. And, um, and I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, because I've got a very long commute. Mm. But I find it hard to read, and I just I actually really miss just novels and mm. I like you know I, I don't read as many children's books as I used to as well, and I kind of miss that too. Right, so, so they'd be in there as well. They would. Be, oh yeah, full range. Well, you <laughs> need to bring your ch- child in to enjoy the bread and butter while you have a beer and read a book. <laughs> yeah. And what would be your favourite book? Do you have one? <gasps> favourite book? Oh no, but I really I like to read Vonnegut, Kurt oh, Vonnegut's work. Okay, so yeah. yeah, and I haven't read all of his stuff, so. I'd go with more author. Mm. Although I do like, I love a dystopian novel as mm. well. I always love Leo. Yeah. I love End of the World, yeah. Fighting for Humanity, zombie, apocalypse style programs. I like okay. that kind of thing. So yeah. a good dystopian novel. Brilliant. Handmaid's Tale, things slightly oh, yeah. off yeah. with the world, that kind of thing. Love it. That makes me happy. Um, I'm trying to think in that kind of realm. Have you read Brave New World? Yeah. Just going back, yeah. back a bit. Yeah, yeah, no, I enjoyed love that. Love Bravely Well. Like. Yeah, anything like that where things are slightly twisted, but you can also kind of see the link to our current, mm. you know, society. Have you read any of Ben Elton? No. Because he does d- modern dystopia really, really well with the comedy edge, as you can imagine, with him, but really funny. I didn't think I would probably pick up a Ben Elton book, so okay, that no. sounds good. Best yeah, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you after a good one. Good, you might, super. You might like Right, your second question yeah. is, what's your party trick? Okay. I now, don't know this, right. You don't know this, though I think you might have seen it. Oh. Andy, I am pretty awesome at karaoke. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay so, and I have a particular song which I like to sing to, you know, when people like karaoke, they're like all nervous and they're like, oh, I can't do it. I'm like, okay, I'll go next. And I have this kind of like routine where I'm like... I'm not very good at this. Okay. And then I sing Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart, <laughs> and blow their minds. And in right. fact, actually, when I was in Toronto, in Canada, I ended up duetting with uh, Andy Hargreaves, who is one oh. of the top academics in the world in education. Professional he, capital. He had, yeah, professional capital. He had the microphone <laughs> across the way, and he walked up to me, and we sang Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart. And I was like, oh, no. Andy Hargreaves sang a duet with me. He doesn't know who I am, but I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> That is, to an educational geek like me, that is so, so cool. He's from Bolton, right. talks like that. <laughs> is he? Is he Turn really around. From, I did not know that. That has really thrown me. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I love, I love professional capital. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, and he's, oh, he's a fantastic speaker. Mm, is he? Yeah, and right. writer. I mean, he's just, he's just great. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Party trick. You've thrown me there. Okay. Yeah, so there karaoke and specifically. Bonnie, uh, Bonnie Tyler, Tyler. Tyler Cook to the Heart. Um, but with that false sense of um, the modesty at the beginning, modesty, yeah, just before, just to disarm everyone yeah. when you get. Really I've, we've done karaoke before. I don't usually, yeah, let, yeah, yeah, I don't usually let go of the no, microphone once I've done it. No, true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> true story. Okay, right. This is a great one. Okay. So, what was on your wedding day playlist? 
Okay. All right. So I'm going to admit that at the um, what's the bit after? Oh, the wedding reception. We hadn't planned a first dance, so I don't know what my first dance was <laughs> because I'd had quite a lot of wine by then. And somebody just put on a track and I don't know what happened there. But I do remember the, the songs that we chose. I'm sorry, from... I just love that you, so you don't even know what your I first dance was. I don't know. No, I have no idea. Oh, that's so funny. That's I have brilliant. got a picture of it. Agonize, agonize no. over that for months. No. What that song was going to be. I don't know what it was. Brilliant. I've got a picture of it though. That. And that myself and my husband are like in the middle of a crowd of people who are around us singing, so... I don't know what we were singing, but there you go. Um, so it's not, it's not that. It's not we that. We don't know what that we was. We don't know what it is. So, but I do know what was in the church service. So we had a church service, um, uh, which you were at, Andy. Mm, do you remember? remember you this. were there. Okay, so I came into you know the thoughtful track, uh, "Magnetic Fields," "Book of Love," which is a great you know, mm-hmm. um, great track, and I left to um, Indiana Jones theme tune. You did. I did. Um, <laughs> so much choice for your wedding I know, for this question. But our, um, so we had to choose because it was the church service. We had to choose some songs to sing, and uh, uh, my husband had two requests for the wedding. One was that we didn't cut a cake; we instead cut a quiche because he loves egg. <laughs> he loves egg so much. It's weird. Yeah. Um, and that secondly, the only other thing he wanted for a wedding was that in the church we would all sing together. Uh, the home and away theme tune <laughs> you know we belong together yeah. <laughs> um which was pretty cool actually because we hadn't really told many people so when it kind of came to it everybody's like this is the theme tune to home and away and we've got quite a lot of friends who are international and they're like what is this <laughs> our friends from like scandinavia like what is this hymn <laughs> why is it not referencing god um but yeah and also we got to sing the second verse which nobody nobody knows the second yeah, verse was that I, new to you andy yeah it was it was the, the I, I will not forget the moment where we picked up those programs and saw that we were going to be singing <laughs> home and away the first moment then there was the just the joy of actually singing it because i just it's one you of those know things. We yeah, like, and it's such a great song you, to sing. You, can, you, you might have sort of mumbled it at home, you know, watching the yeah. show, but to really be in a chorus and belting that yeah, out. Yeah, people really went for it as well, the chorus, yeah. didn't they? Because often at like church services or weddings with adults, people hold back on the singing. Yeah. So that was good fun. Amazing. And then to get to the second verse. And, and everyone be like, this is new. This How is do we really, fit these words yeah, to the tune? All a bit confused. Yeah. And yeah. It was good fun. It was uh, brilliant. Good. So, Glad you enjoyed it. Brilliant. So the home and away theme tune. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Wedding. Thank you. So, no um, Ruth, that was just a wonderful chat and insight into your life and also Aww. your bugbears about education. <laughs> I've um, got many, many more. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to do a second, okay, a second podcast at some point. Yeah. We'll let you sort of refresh yeah. And, and revitalize and get some beer bread and butter in yeah exactly yeah, so even if it is at your new bar yeah with the beer <laughs> bread, bread butter and books. and books it's a bit of a tongue twister yeah we should do another podcast yes. and then you can give us another list okay of, of stuff okay. that you just want to burn or throw okay. out yeah before we go yes can you tell us a little bit about the conference that you have yes. set up with some colleagues yes new so voices? um so uh just over a year ago on um twitter i connected with um somebody who happens to also be an Islington teacher and we were both um, increasingly frustrated with the education conference scene within the UK not the academic side but the the grassroots side which is I think is a brilliant thing 
But when you kind of look at who's speaking, you were starting to see the same kind of 20, 25 names over and over again. And we were a bit frustrated with that um, because it felt like those voices, oh, they have lots to say and that's great. We're dominating the scene and actually we are working in a profession where there's loads of people who've got experiences to share. So we um, set up a conference which is called New Voices. It runs um, in October. Um, our next one's on the 12th of October in London and um, everyone who speaks there has never spoken at a conference before. So although we had our first one last year and it's a really supportive and warm environment, people are really friendly to each other because there's no kind of edgiest celebs or there, mm. there's no green room, everybody mingles. We do the best food. Um, Jane, who I run it with, is Italian and she insists on it being excellent food. Um, we also have the best wine too. We think this is important and great goodie bags as well. Um, and it's just been a lot of fun to do. Um, and yeah, so if people want to come along, it's the 12th of October. And if people are interested in signing up for future events, then go onto our website, which is um, newvoices.co.uk. <laughs> Maybe you could check that out, do you? I'm going to have to check link. that. <laughs> And then what do I do if that's wrong? Do I just, I, I have to record later myself going and I suddenly interrupt you and tell you your own website. Should yeah, we just do, do that. that. Okay, all right. We'll uh, do that. <laughs> or you can follow us on Twitter. Yes. So as well. Okay. New Voices. At yeah. New Voices 3. New Voices 3, yeah. Right. New Voices was just taken, but oh, okay. that's where we are. Okay. And great. it was exciting. You know, Amanda Spielman came last year. Yeah, turned up who yeah. and which was that I... Was a surprise or did you know that was coming? Uh, no, it was a surprise, right. which was great. Apart from when she came to my... Uh, my talk because it's the first oh. time I'd spoken at something and I suddenly looked into the audience and there's you know HMCI <laughs> and you're like okay okay I'm gonna you know I'm cool it's fine she nodded slightly at one point so okay I'm, yeah take that I don't know I just yeah. took that yeah so she was there what you're doing is each year as you get a, a fresh intake through of people yeah. having a go at speaking then if they are so minded, then they can go Continue. onto that circuit That's and, right. and do it more. So or? we're trying to also, you know, we're getting links with different people so where we can kind of pass them on to other people as well. Um, mm. Or they kind of create their own opportunities. And um, yeah, and it's it's just a really fun day. Mm. That's the thing. It's fun, you hear something different and it's really supportive. Yeah. And that's what we want. Um, Ruth, thank you. It's been wonderful having this chat and catching up. Um, great to see you, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me. Ruth Lusmore, thank you for being our guest on Classroom 101. When education's in pretty bad shape, teachers are leaving on a plan and their escape. There's not enough time to teach the things you should. Time to banish education since you do it if you could. Time for